thank you very much for your silence and your practice. Everybody made it. Sometimes I feel like I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Although it's nice to be able to hold the bell ringing device. And I'm in that if it gets really bad in here, I can always just ring the bell. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's going to mind. <laughs> Something about holding this is just knowing that it's right here next to me. It's like, okay, if it gets really bad in here, I can <laughs> <laughs> The only problem is I'll still be in here. <laughs> and that's, therein lies the rub, I think. I was a little nervous earlier today because uh, typically I usually talk about different aspects of the practice which can be kind of easy because I'm talking about meditation and, and a little bit about my experience with meditation and uh, not so much about myself although sometimes I do but um, because it is the second anniversary and it's a little bit of a tradition uh, for group leaders or teachers or facilitators to, at some point in the process, sort of offer uh, our story of sort of how did I end up sitting up here in front of you tonight. So I'm going to talk about that tonight. And so I have a very long, painful history with this practice. Uh, and um, I can't seem to get away from it, which I'm, I feel like I finally surrendered, which feels actually really good for me. Um, so I um, was introduced to this practice, this mindfulness practice, and really to this Dharma practice, this tradition, this Theravadan Buddhist tradition, uh, when I was 18, almost 20 years ago actually, which I can't believe it's been that long. And like most of us, um, I grew up with a lot of confusion about a lot of things. Um, a lot of it came from you know, growing up and, and having a lot of loss in my life early on. I had a sister who was killed in a car accident when I was 11. And a couple other close family members who just sort of died, like, tragically. Um, so my teenage years and my adolescent years were pretty terrible, actually. I mostly just listened to Metallica and hated things and smoked pot and played Nintendo and I really wanted nothing to do with anything, actually. And then uh, I got lucky enough, I moved out to Western Massachusetts when I was 16 or so, and I actually met my first, actually I call him my first real friend. I really don't think I actually had a real friend until I was about 16. Somebody that I actually felt like I could talk to. Not somebody that I just sort of grew up in the neighborhood with. I never felt very connected as a kid. So, and um, his parents were really into the Dharma. And his parents, uh, he sat at IMS, and they knew Joseph Goldstein, and they knew Sharon, and they knew 
a lot of the people in that community. And what happened was I graduated high school and um, I was very excited about not being in high school. And I had my own, I was, I was living with some people, I had my own apartment, <coughs> sort of working and enjoying that. And I had a girlfriend uh, and her and I were tragically, well we were, I obviously didn't get killed, but we were run down by a, a drunk driver and she was killed. And, um, and that was just fucking hell on earth. And um, so it was just like worst case scenario, gory, run down car scene. And, um, and I just was stuck. I had just, I probably had some post-traumatic stress disorder, at least I'm told that now. Uh, and I was lucky enough that my friend's parents knew about three months had gone by and I really was still just like, what is going on with the world? And I was um, brought to meet my first Dharma teacher. Then I was 18, and we, were, we pulled into Insight Meditation Society. I think it was actually, I'm pretty sure it was Thanksgiving. And we sat in the parking lot of IMS, and we smoked a shit ton of weed. <laughs> and we got really, really high. And I got really, really freaked out. And we walked up to Joseph Goldstein's house and went inside, and there was all these Dharma teachers in there and all these just people who seemed cool and didn't seem to care that I was really high. Uh, it was really just uncomfortable and just, uh, but it was interesting in the sense that I was like, knew that there was something going on uh, there that had some depth to it. And um, the next morning we slept in a sort of farmhouse they had and I met my, my first Dharma teacher's name was Stephen Smith and he was a, uh, he still is a, a Dharma teacher. He actually was a, was a Buddhist monk. Uh, he studied with uh, Sayada Upandita, who was a Burmese uh, Theravadan master. So he had a lot of experience. And um, they, I went to, to meet him in the morning. And basically, I don't really remember what we talked about specifically. But I do remember telling him the story of my uh, sort of growing up and the story of that accident. And... Um, and we talked for a long time. And he really talked to me about, uh, he, he gave me really the same deliverance that the Buddha gave his monks, uh, the teachings on the first noble truth, that, that, hello, that there's suffering in the world and you've been exposed to it. And he talked about suffering in a way that really spoke to me in that moment because I was in it. And it was actually the first time in my life that I really felt like an adult wasn't lying to me. I didn't trust adults or authority figures. I was like, this guy's fucking telling me the truth. Like, wow. He's actually telling me the truth. And uh, he talked about some of his experiences in being a monk and, and that, that it was really normal that I was feeling the way that I was feeling. And that, you know, sort of my heart had been ripped open and that it was just sort of exposed. Uh, and that, um, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what's happening. <laughs> And I felt just some relief in talking to him because he seemed like a very trustworthy person. And I never met an adult that I felt that was quite like him. I was like, there's something up with this guy, you know? This guy's like, this guy's speaking my language. And, uh, and then about maybe a few hours later, we went, uh, we walked, I was going to meet him in IMS and he was going to teach me some meditation because I liked what he said. And he said, well, there's this meditation practice. I was like, dude, I'll do anything. It's like I smoked a shit ton of weed last night. That just freaked me out. 
I was like, I, I'm, I'm ready to try something. I was mostly just really interested in the practice. And uh, I sort of joke about this, but I, I sat across from him on cushions just like this. And I remember him just telling me, just like we did tonight, no different than what we did tonight. He told me to close my eyes and to just put my attention on my breath and put my attention in my sitting, breathing body. And to that when I noticed that my mind would wander, that I would return back to my breath. Right? Typical, basic mindfulness instructions that I totally take for granted now, actually. But that first, and within that first five minutes, something really fucking profound happened. I was like, I could see that I was getting moments where I wasn't in my suffering, confused, angry, hateful mind. I was like, oh, I can get out of here? Like, holy shit. Like, I can actually get out of here. I didn't think there was a getting out of here. I thought this was just what you get. And it's just bogus all the time. <laughs> I was in my mind my whole life. And I just couldn't believe it. In fact, I, I say oftentimes, I don't think I've had a meditation experience as good as that first one. It's like the first hit free, you know? <laughs> and... Uh, and it was really a profound experience. It was really... a uh, and we sat on and off that whole day for a while, and I really was so grateful that I could actually, that there was a whole other world happening below my thinking mind. That if I could just drop out of that for a minute, that I was actually breathing, and I was in a body, and there was this thing called the present moment, and that like the future and the past were just thoughts. They were just fleeting ideas uh, that hooked my attention constantly, but I saw right away that there was a mo there, there was a potential for moment-to-moment -moment relief. I had no idea that that was even available, um, and that was a, that was just a life-changing, game-changing experience for me. And so I was really, really psyched about this practice. And then, of course, I got like so I, I left IMS. And, I, and I, I actually felt a lot better about things, about the accident, about some, I had a little bit of resolve about the past. I just really felt like I had this deep Dharma transmission of like, oh yeah, the world does kind of suck and there's a lot of suffering in the world. And like, that's okay. Like, you know, I'm not the only one who goes through it. And I had a little bit of wisdom of like, okay, uh, this is going to maybe be manageable. I can maybe be okay. Maybe I could be okay. Uh, maybe. You know, that was like my sort of faith. I was like, oh, this Buddha guy really had it nailed down. And, um, and then I started sitting like retreats pretty much right away that summer. So I was like 19, and I was, every summer I was sitting 10-day Vipassana retreats. And I, I think at that point I'd read like a couple of Joseph Goldstein books. I'd read some books on Theravadan Buddhism, and I sort of read about the Four Noble Truths and about mindfulness and, and some of the experiences that Westerners had. And I was kind of into it for a little while. And I would go and sit retreats in the summertime, and I, would, I was going to some weekly meditation classes like this one that were available. I was sitting on my own. And I was really actually getting a lot from it. I was really very, felt very connected to it. Uh, the thing that was hard for me was nobody else was really doing it. There wasn't a lot of 19-year-olds in my local town or community that were into that at all. So I kind of felt a little bit, uh, I didn't have a community. 
Unfortunately, I did have a community of other people who played music like I did and drank and did drugs, and I got really caught up in all of that. Um, and I sort of had this attitude from the meditation experience that I sort of was all better now. I was like, well, okay, well, I'm glad that's over. I was like, I don't have to deal with that anymore. And then uh, for the next several years, I, would, I really got caught up in... Uh, I also had this big chip on my shoulder where I felt like the world owed me. I really felt like because of the experience I've had and the losses that I had, I really actually on some level felt like that the world owed me something. And the way that the world was going to pay me back <laughs> for my suffering was I was going to be a rock star and I was going to get everything I wanted and that was sort of the arrangement. <laughs> which seemed totally reasonable to me <laughs> and that was sort of the arrangement that I had made with the universe and for, for many years it, actually, it was actually working I, uh, I continued to sit retreats though I continued to uh, I, would, I would drink and do drugs and party and play music and travel and do all that stuff but I would still uh, usually go to IMS almost every year for at least a 10 day retreat and I was still, uh, the Dharma was always, pretty much from that first moment, was always important to me on some level. Um, it was always important to me because it really uh, was something that was very, had a profound impact on me. I always had faith that this actually practice was the way to go. But I wasn't really quite willing to totally commit because I was having so much fun out there doing what I was doing. And, um, and so for, for quite a few years, I, I actually got really lucky and I, I had a lot of fun. I, I actually was in this one band for almost 10 years and we ended up getting a, a recording contract and we ended up um, moving to Amsterdam and, and doing a lot of uh, tours of Europe. And um, at that point, I sort of uh, was really off my practice. I was really just a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict at that point. It's kind of hard to meditate in the morning when you're like jonesing for alcohol. Uh, and, um, and I really wanted to make that lifestyle work. Um, but I had done a little bit, it's like almost like that movie The Matrix, you know, where you take the blue pill. Like I kind of knew too much about the Dharma to like the delusion of all that shit like didn't really work out for me. It's like I knew too much. <laughs> I had like a little bit too much information. Um, and so, so towards the end of all of that, I was um, really confused because all I wanted to do was stand on big stages and play loud rock music, punk rock music, uh, drink, smoke pot, do drugs, have sex. Like that was all I ever really wanted to do. And then when all of that came into fruition, I wasn't happy. And um, I was really pissed off that I wasn't happy, actually. Uh, and so for about two years, it was just day to day, sort of like the Groundhog's Day of just the living hell of like living through that stuff, through the, just the, the delusion and the craving and the suffering and the delusion and the craving and the suffering and the, and the knowledge of knowing that I shouldn't be doing this anyway. Uh, and it all hit me in one flash, actually, 
I oftentimes will say that if you practice enough, and if you show up for the present moment enough, it will show up for you and bail you out, which was basically my experience. It was, um, we were playing these outdoor festivals and uh, huge crowd, some of them, you know, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 15,000 people. And I was just playing on stage one day and it was just hit me like a rock. I was like, dude, this sucks. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you hate this. Like, just stop lying. You hate this. You hate everybody in your band. You hate yourself. Like, you hate this. And then I was like, and I was just like trying to be like, be quiet, be quiet, no. And trying to squeeze every last, <laughs> just trying so hard to make it work. Trying so hard to just be like, come on, come on, delusion. Like, where are you? <laughs> You've turned on me. And, uh, and I, just, I just ended up basically walking away from all of that. Uh, that was in 2003. And I ended up getting, actually, I ended up quitting the band, actually, which was the hardest thing I actually had to do. Actually, getting sober was easier than quitting the band. Uh, because it was just like 10 years of like my total identity. Like, who am I going to be if I'm not this guy in this band? Who, like, I'm, a, you know, what, what, what am I going to do now? You know? Uh, and that was really painful. And then I got, um, I got in touch with one of my teachers, a woman named Michelle McDonald, who's just an amazing Dharma teacher, who's actually not very well-known because she hasn't written books or anything like that, like some of the other uh, teachers have. And I met with her, and um, I moved back in with my mom and dad. And at that point, I started to get... Uh, I really wanted to go do some more sitting practice. I really wanted to go, and uh, I knew that this was the way. And so at three months of sobriety, I went and sat the three-month retreat at IMS which I totally don't recommend that you do that. Uh, and so I went into IMS in early September, and I was just there. For, I was there for three months. Uh, I think Joseph, it was Joseph Goldstein, Steve Armstrong, Carol Wilson. There was a really just a really great group of teachers on that retreat, and I sat uh, and did this practice every day for three months. And... Um, and it was hard, and it was wonderful, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing, and it was hard. It was every... I, I think I experienced all 84,000 mind states that the Buddha talks about during that retreat. <laughs> like, if you could experience something, I basically had a taste of all of it. And I actually, on some level, speaking of delusion, I really thought that that retreat was going to fix me. I was like, I'm going to go sit for three months, and then all this shit will just go away. And, um, and that didn't happen. And actually, the, the interesting part of the thing about that story was, at the end of that retreat, I met a woman who I now know as a Dharma teacher named Spring Washam, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh, and I met her in, in the cafeteria after the retreat, and we had a two-minute conversation. And she basically spent two minutes telling me about Noah Levine, and that he was a, this, this punk rock dude, this recovering addict, punk rock guy in California who was studying with Jack Cornfield and he was teaching meditation and that I needed to like meet him. And she's like, you have to meet this guy. And then I never saw her again. And then I was leaving the retreat, heading back to my parents' house and I stopped uh, in one of the college towns to get a cup of coffee because I hadn't had a cup of coffee in three months. I was like, gonna have a, 
double espresso. I was going to get like jacked up on coffee. And I walked to the bookstore, and in the window of the bookstore was the, the, this book, Dharma Punks, that Noah Levine had, had actually just come out that week. It was like right in the window of the bookstore. It's like the hands, the tattooed hands. Like I was like, it was just like totally one of those moments where you're like, I'm doing the right thing. So of course I bought the book, and I went home and just like, I think I read it like twice in two days, because I also hadn't read in three months. So a book was like the most, it was like Disneyland. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> words and ideas. And, oh my God, reading, you know. <laughs> so anything was just amazing after that. And then I, um, I read that book, and, and I, at that point Noah was not really uh, as popular as he is now, so he was pretty accessible. I was able to get on the internet and find Dharma punks and send him an email, and he actually emailed me back right away. And we talked quite a few times, and at that point I'd been going to meetings and doing some 12-step stuff, but I was really not into it because I was a Buddhist and these people with their God business uh, was not for me. And Noah was like, no, you should go, man. He's like, it's really good, you know, you should... Uh, as a practice, you should just go, you should do uh, the 12 steps, you should go to those meetings, you should uh, just get over all your bullshit about that. He's like, it'll be good for you. And I was like, I was a little pissed, actually. <laughs> you know, I wanted him to go, come move to New York with me and we'll, you know, we'll fight the revolution. And I like, that's what I wanted was some big speech. And he was like, dude, you kind of need to work those steps. <laughs> I was like, but I just sat the three-month retreat. He's like, and how you doing? I'm like, I'm fucking crazy. He's like, uh, so really, actually, I didn't realize that until I was talking to him a few weeks back about like that actually he was one of the people who motivated me to actually, uh, to really actually do the 12-step program and to get a sponsor and, and all that stuff that I just was not interested in doing because, I mean, come on, really me? I was so full of shit, you know? And I just thought that uh, I was better than all that. And, uh, and so for the, the, the next basically five years after that, I spent that basically part of my life uh, getting sober. And, and uh, I was doing the spiritual practice of getting up every day and going to work, which was a spiritual practice that I had never done. <laughs> uh, waking up before, you know, getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning and... and and I really actually enjoyed it. I mean, I, blew, I grew up in a blue-collar family, so I was like, okay, I need to be... I really got into my blue-collar, go to work every day. And it was a really good practice for me, actually, to just be like a responsible member of society, which is something that I never was into. And I did that for five years, and they were, it was a good five years. And um, I, I, wasn't, I was practicing a little bit, not so much. Uh, talking to Noah, like, maybe once a year, I'd kind of just check in and see what he was up to, and... Uh, and then I moved here. I moved to Nashville to do this, which actually I didn't plan to do that when I came here. I mostly, I was married at the time, and um, I wanted to um, get back into playing music, and I figured I've been sober a while. I want to play some music, Nashville. I had some friends who moved down here. I'd visited here a couple times. And I moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 2008. And I... Um, with my wife at the time. I'm one of those people who can say it, my wife at the time. Mm. Which I always loved the old timers in the AA meetings who used to get to say that. <laughs> and, uh, and as soon as I moved to Nashville, everything, the shit hit the fan. Like, really bad. Uh, my wife started drinking again and having sex with other people and all that fun stuff. 
And so basically, I was in town for like maybe six weeks, eight weeks, I think maybe two months, and so that was happening. Um, and that was, you know, that sucked. You know, I, I was not uh, very happy with that. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And, um, and so the deal, the, the arrangement was that she sort of, she got this good job down here and she was going to work and I was going to play music and, and fuck off, which is kind of what I've been hoping to do because I've been working for the last five years. So I was left with this, um, basically like I needed, I was in Nashville, I needed to get a job and I don't have a lot of experience. I, I know how to do construction work and uh, that's about it, you know. <laughs> I want to play music, but no one's, you know, I don't know if you... People aren't handing out bags of money to play music in this town, that's for sure. <laughs> and so I ended up getting a job at uh, Cumberland Heights at the treatment center. Uh, some of you probably are familiar with Cumberland Heights. Working in the youth program, which I had no interest. I, the only reason I got that job is because I met somebody at a meeting who said they could get me a fucking job there. And I was like, well, yeah, let's, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, teenagers, they're drug addicts, I'll, I can deal with that. Like, whatever, just sign me up, I need a job which actually turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to me because that's what really what brought me... I wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't for that job because um, I didn't realize how... You know, basically, I, like, I'm a recovering teenager myself. <laughs> I'm a 37-year-old teenager who's recovering from being a teenager. And, um, you know, I didn't have any clinical skills or, or, or any trained skills on how to work with kids, so I just kind of... Uh, did my best to, to manage and I ended up doing um, spirituality groups with them and doing some meditation groups with them and and it was the only thing that they, they actually liked it you know I remember doing I remember the first spirituality group I was like on Google just trying to find something to t get these kids to talk about without them just being totally pissed and I just was like oh I'll do like the Four Noble Truths or something I'll, like, I'll just do something on Buddhism like I know enough about that shit I can if nothing else I can make it up they won't know that I'm lying they don't know they don't care they're in treatment I can lie whatever you know it doesn't matter like just print something off Google and just go in there and just like do the, do the best you can uh, and um, and I did a lot of my groups actually were like that I mean what are you going to do you know, you're doing a spirituality group with 12 teenage boys on a Sunday morning. They're not going to be psyched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's really nothing you can do. To, uh, and they liked it. And so I started doing groups on Buddhism every, or, or mindfulness or meditation or whatever. And, um, and so that brought me back to getting in touch with Noah Levine. Uh, Cumberland Heights um, sent me to this Buddhist recovery uh, conference and I got to actually meet Noah and he was like, dude, you should come do this training program that I do uh, to teach this group. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, like, that sounds good. And I was like, you know, it just was one of those things that just happened and um, and I got to reconnect with him and I actually got to meet him and we're actually really good friends these days. And um, so I, I went to Los Angeles, basically, I guess it was the first year I did this group I was actually in the training program as I was teaching this group. And it's funny, I, as I sit here and reflect on the first group I did two years ago tonight, I was just like tripping all day. I was like, man, uh, I had like prepared this like fucking three-hour document. I had no idea what I was doing. 
I was really nervous. And I, of course I thought, because I'm going to do a meditation group, I thought that this many people were going to be here. I was like, well, I'm doing a meditation group. Of course tons of people are going to come because it's Nashville and everybody's into Dharma practice. <laughs> <laughs> and I showed up here and there was like, you know, basically four friends from work. Actually, I think you were there, Seth. Seth was there, Christy was there, and then like, yeah, who's never come back. <laughs> and, and so like, it was just, um, it was really scary actually for me, because I was like, it was, it was the first time I, I, I did that group, and I remember talking to Kevin Griffin, I called him, and I was like, dude, man, it's, I don't know about this, this is like scary shit. And I was just, most of it was just like I just didn't like everything else. I didn't feel worthy. I was like, oh, I'm an imposter. Like I shouldn't be teaching at the Dharma Center. They have cushions. I should be like in in, in Donnie's garage in the backyard. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's where I should be teaching. You know, like sitting on a lawnmower or some shit. <laughs> I didn't feel worthy at all. And and Kevin said something that I that I still really register with me today. That's really important. Is that he said when you teach mindfulness or you teach meditation groups, he goes the most important thing is that you're mindful while you're teaching the group. That you're actually in the moment when you're talking to people. He's like the rest of it. He's like you just kind of make it up as you go along. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And I was like, it's kind of like improv, right? Like Dharma improv. He's like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I think he was just trying to give me any sort of positive nudge. <laughs> and, um, and so that's, that's how we started. And, um, and I can't tell you, in the last two years, like I can't even believe what has happened. And it's just been a result mostly of just like committing to a daily practice uh, and just showing up week after week. Because I was joking with some people at the group. The one thing about this group, I've been to every single one. <laughs> you know, every single one I've been to. Uh, which has been really helpful to me. It's been a, a really great way to have some sort of a commitment to, to work on. One of the other things that's really, I think, important, I want to say, um, about um, my practice now it's for years and years and years and years I actually very much avoided what we call the heart practices. I wanted nothing to do with loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness, appreciation. Uh, I was really much, very much mindfulness oriented. I, mostly because I'd be, I was just, I think I just scared to see like what would happen if I actually tried to go inside my heart. I was just like, so like, I'm not going down there. We'll just leave it alone. <laughs> It's total damage control at this point. <laughs> like, we don't need to open up that door. Like, just leave it alone. And we did, um, when I did my training with Noah, we did a piece on heart practices, and I, there's a book that his father wrote called Unattended Sorrow, which is really just like a whew book. And um, so that got me back into um, willingness to just, like, and I was like, well, if I'm going to teach these heart practices, I guess I probably should do them. <laughs> and, uh, and what a game changer. I think for a lot of people uh, new to the practice, people who maybe have a history of, of, of addiction or just a history of just like life just being like uh, kicking your ass or you kicking your own ass in your own mind for the way your life is going. Uh, that the heart practices, I just like, I'm like really mad that I like dragged my feet so much for them that actually like what a game changer it was for me to actually start to bring in like just a kind attitude you know to my practice to my life 
And I think one of the reasons I avoided him so long was that my mind just seemed so unkind that it just seemed like it was just going to be total war. You know, it's like just the internal judgment and comparing and just the internal, just my mind just kind of like being cynical and sarcastic and just mean and just kind of shitty to me. Just seemed like, I was like, oh, I don't even want to deal with, can we just leave all that alone? And, um, and now it's like, I feel like those practices uh, are ones that I think are actually a lot more valuable in many ways because so much of us, so many of us carry so much of that in here uh, that it's hard to meditate if your mind is mean to you. Uh, and that turning towards the, the suffering with an attitude of compassion or just being willing to like say, man, I learned to care about this forgiveness practice of like just turning towards all of the harm you cause yourself and all the harm I've caused myself and just saying like I forgive you for that like I totally forgive you for all of it and just being willing to sit there for 20 minutes in the day and just and to do that uh, the freedom that came from those practices I just can't even believe is actually uh, it's just amazing to me and you know so Noah's new book is sort of on those practices and one of his teachers, some of you got to meet him last weekend, this teacher, Vinny Ferraro, who's just like a walking heart inside a body. Um, you know, he's just amazing that way. That That's just a lot of uh, the newer teachers and a lot of uh, the Against the Stream community, we really sort of bring that to the practice because, um, you know, the wisdom and compassion and working together, the mindfulness with the heartfulness is really, really rich. And um, and for many of us, it's heavy. That's the heavy lifting, you know. That's like the the hard work is that type of stuff. Um, and so I, I try to encourage that here and and talk about it here on Sunday nights as much as I can. Especially if you're bringing some of that with you, that um, the freedom that's on the other side of that, whew, so good. And. Um, <coughs> So it's been, you know, 19 years, basically. Uh, I find myself... I, funny, I was joking with a young friend of mine the other day, of going like, you know what, my life right now is like exactly how I wanted it to be when I was 18. You know, like I'm like, I'm playing in a punk rock band again, and I'm uh, teaching the Dharma, and I don't have to work for the man anymore. <laughs> I'm like, you know, when I was 18, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to play punk rock and... And be a Dharma guy. It's like, oh, okay, well, it only took me 19 years to get it together. <laughs> um, so I think that's all I want to say. I kind of wanted to, to, to offer that to some of you. I know that a lot of you come here a lot, and some of you are new, but that's sort of been my experience. It's been a long road, and I just, I just, now I'm just like, I feel like I'm just in it now. Like, I'm just doing it. It's working. I have no doubt about it. I have total faith. I mean, and most of the faith that I get these days is actually from everybody sitting in this room. Like, like if this practice didn't work, uh, that nobody would, you know, you guys wouldn't be here. You know? Uh, and, and that, the, you know, being in the South, just being able to bring this practice to this part of the country and see so many people be interested in it, I think is just awesome. And I think this is the beginning of something really awesome. Um, so I'm really grateful to all of you. And um, I, I wanted to take some time to um, hear from you. 
Uh, I want to start with a couple of specific people, and I'd like to, to allow you, uh, some of the people who are newer, who have been sitting maybe for a little while to hear from some of, there's a couple people in the room tonight who actually have been sitting here with me for pretty much the whole two years on and off, and I know that uh, these people have been a big inspiration to me, and I'd like to hear their reflections on, on what the last couple of years has been like, and some of these people actually sat through our Dharma study course. And so, Megan, would you like to say a few words? Sure. <laughs> um, so, I, I never told you this, but I remember the first time I came here, and I think, I think it was in March a couple of years ago. I think it was one of the first times. It wasn't the very first one, but I have... Um, Similar, similar to Dave, I had a lot of experience with um, different spiritual practices in the Dharma before I got sober, but um, I had a lot of like spiritual arrogance about um, getting sober. And then um, when I, so when I came to this first sit, I um, I was excited about it, but I was totally, totally filled with judgment and pushed myself, I kept, every, I haven't told anyone this, I didn't like it, I didn't want to come back, and I kept pushing, telling myself to come back every week, because I could tell, at that point I could tell the difference between my resistance to something that is actually helping me grow, and my resistance, you know, um, and, and resistance to something that might hurt me, you know, and it was, I was just resisting, um, it was just my arrogance resisting coming. And um, then you did a heart practice. You didn't do the heart practice right away. And um, that softened me. That was like, that was the hook. Like I was pushing, making myself come. Um, and then once we did a heart practice, I was like, oh. Now I can soften into this, and so I did the year-long study group with Dave, and um, and it's been a joy to get to be a part of this sangha. I feel like um, Buddha says that you should never underestimate the importance of the company you keep, and um, I have met people in this sangha that mean the world to me today and um, remind me how to um, to try to stay in my heart and um, it's been really awesome to see you grow as a teacher and get to grow with you as a um, student and a fellow member and the biggest thing that I um, have today because of this is um, a sense of connection with myself and with other people that just keeps keeps growing the more I'm willing to turn towards the shit <laughs> and the hurtful mind and all that the more it softens and, and I was just thinking while I was sitting here like all I ever really want is just connect to connect with who I am and with other people and that's what I'm getting. It's a pretty cool. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. 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 Thanks
How about Donnie? Hmm. Um, you know, I was uh, in a, a book, actually, one of those books is in there. That book is actually in there on that shelf um, by Noah, which um, is a good stream book. It, it kind of introduced me to this whole practice. You know? And um, I don't know if I was, I, I really don't. I guess I'm thinking about what I'm trying to say here. I think I was just looking to get real with myself when I started this. And I, and I didn't understand. I, I really didn't understand what this was about. Um, I remember coming here, and you were talking about that heart practice. I remember the first time I ever did that here in this room, how good that felt. I was like, hey, wait a minute, what's that? <laughs> I was like, all right, we sit here and pay attention. But wait, what was that? <laughs> You were sitting here, weren't you? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And man, it was just, it was amazing. And it, and it just kind of opened a whole new world for me. And, um, you know, my friend, he kept, uh, kept encouraging me just to continue practicing and just, you know, just searching myself. There was one thing um, that came up was Dave's year long that we did. Um, doing that was just, uh, Mind-blowing, beautiful, amazing, and game-changing, you know, all of that. Because, you know, during this time, too, I was encouraged to go to a retreat, which just happened to be upon the, the, the heart practices. And, um, you know, I didn't know what I was walking into when I went down there or went out there, you know. And it was uh, pretty interesting um, because there was times that... Um, you know, I found a great connection, you know, with my heart. There was times that I found a big disconnect with my heart, too. Um, there was times I wanted to leave. You know, I just wanted to get out of it. But um, I made it through. Um, and that really kind of brought me closer in. And, and for a while, because of my job, I wasn't able to come, come here um, to this group for a while. But um, since I've been coming the one thing that um, I'm truly appreciative of is just all of you being here tonight, you know, because now I can experience this, what's going on with me and with you, and that's beautiful. But also just want to say, Dave, thank you, because this is the guy that gave me that book. <laughs> thank you. Christy? thing about sitting together, the thing that was, I was um, listening to a talk last night and sort of this idea of, um, <clears throat> the, the person was about, or maybe it was one of the articles I was reading, talking about the, the thing about retreat, about this sort of thing, being alone together, sort of, you know, going in, but sort of not being alone while you did it, right? And I think one of the things that has been so important to me is, has been that I've been a person that's had a lot, a lot of, um, starting from when I was really young, a lot of alone time, and I always did well at doing that, but but I did not have that sense of alone together, you know. And so that has been one of the things that, um, you know, coming to the weekly, so that's getting to be bad, and 
and when the retreats and what I was realizing one of the things one of the cool things for me that has meant so much that has started to develop is that those of you that I sort of see regularly and you know even if even if you can't be here every single week but you know you sort of have your people that are just kind of generally here most of the time more than half the time I sort of start to even have a sense in my uh, daily life that because um, I really value my solitude that there's a sense of like even across town, we're alone together. And so, you know, I, you know, it's like I'm going through my day, and, and I was sharing with Dave earlier today, one of the things that has been really powerful for me over this last couple of years is, well, two things. One is, um, you know, it's really fortuitous for me that Dave, you know, came here and came here to Nashville, came in my life at the time he did, and this group came into being at the time it did, and... Um, just, just a lot of um, unexpected, you know, changes and loss occurred, and um, and one of the things that happened is because of this practice, I've really, I've always functioned fine through things like that. I've never been so kind to myself through things as I was. You know, my mom died on my daughter's 17th birthday. You know, weeks after my daughter had to testify against her dad in court. I mean, you know, it was just. Horrendous, horrendous things, and um, and I've really never had an experience of being able to really turn toward my experience and be as soothing as with myself as I would want to be with one of my kids or something, you know. And I really got that, you know, from you from this practice, and um, and so there's that, and then I work with people, so you know, I'm in a recovery program and. The things that started to happen, the feedback I started to get, like from the people I sponsor, and um, people I, I'm in the helping profession, so people, are, it's the what is ha what is happening for them, and it's like I was telling them, it's not because I'm doing anything, it's because I'm out of their way, and I'm just I'm able to be present to them and let them do their thing, and it's really just like to watch it, and how real people get with me, and how safe they feel, because I'm safe for myself now, most of the time. And um, so, anyway, so as I go about my day, you know, there's like, sometimes I'll be at work, I'll be doing my thing, and it's like, I feel connected to Dave while he's over at the jail, and I look out my window at work, and Donnie's walking with the kids, you know, and it's sort of like this feeling of, you know, that we... You know, and, and you know that you're with your kids. You know, it's just have this feeling of us with this just this um, tremendous gift that I feel like the other piece of it is like the the training on the history of it, like the the skillful means and the practice that that's awesome, but also just like the history of it in the sense of like, oh yeah, this is my tribe, and it's like we're functioning in the world and doing this, and and helping to put an end to suffering for ourselves and for other people. So, um, it has been, you know, it's worth those, uh, it's worth the price of a cushion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. So, to turn it back to you, if, if anybody else has any other uh, reflections, uh, some of you also have been sitting here for a while, I welcome that, or... If you're new, if you have any questions or anything, we do have uh, some time left. So.
So, um, if anybody else has anything they want to add or uh, say, please feel free. Hey, Russ. My, my introduction to Against the Stream was my, my brother's friend is a guy named Joseph Rogers and a couple of years ago he took you know, Levine's uh, workshop and as part of his training he, he needed to start a, a drama practice of his, of his own for like a song and so um, it was kind of the same situation where he had four people show up and we'd go to his living room every Tuesday night, me and my mm -hmm. girlfriend at the time. <laughs> and uh, it was like, now wife <laughs> yes <laughs> and um, we would we would have that it was just that same kind it felt like it probably was here a couple of years ago it was just four people in a small setting practicing <laughs> and uh, and so it was it, it was one of the things where I, I didn't exactly know what I want, wanted out of it you know I think I just from my 11-step practice, I knew that meditation was a good idea, and so it seemed like a, a good thing to do, and someone I knew and was comfortable with, and over the last couple of years, it's been um, but really amazing growth for me to actually do this practice, and have, I like what you said, I think last week or the week before, about faith, how faith is, you know, that kind of learning by doing, experiencing for myself, and uh, so it's been, uh, it's been, a complete shock and joy to move here and find that there's another against the stream song <laughs> right where I live. So it's a, a pleasure to be here and I'm glad to have found this thing. Thanks, Ross. Thanks. Thank No, no, good question. That's a universal meditation question. Yeah, if it hurts, it's really hard to sit, right? The, the first suggestion, really, of course, is to just try to find a posture that's most comfortable, whether it's sitting in a cushion or a chair, to try to find a posture that is least painful. Um, and also to... Um, Interesting thing about mindfulness is mindfulness practice in, in the clinical medical realm uh, was actually introduced to people with pain. That mindfulness was originally designed in the clinical world to help people who had chronic pain. And one of the things that we see by directing the mind towards the moment-to-moment -moment experience, we see actually that there are a lot of moments where maybe there's no pain, and that usually the fear of the pain returning is actually worse than the pain itself. Uh, so that's interesting. And so, physical pain <coughs> is physical pain. And the mind's reaction or story or attitude about the physical pain adds suffering or another layer to it. Uh, when I have pain in my legs, when I sit, I try to just bring my attention to it. I try to almost breathe through where the pain is. 
and to just see what's it like to be right in my leg and, and to see if I can actually even feel my breath at all down there. Uh, and to just notice uh, how bad it is. To actually, to go actually towards the pain rather than that whole like, you know, trying to push it away. Uh, and sometimes you'll see, depending on how, how bad the pain is, a lot of times what we call pain is just actually like mild discomfort. You know, like, oh, my legs hurt, and then I'll sit with them for 30 seconds and go, well, they don't hurt that bad. You know, they're uncomfortable, they're, they're tight. Uh, and so, uh, and then to work with that a little bit. One thing about pain that's interesting, too, is like, uh, when you're in the experience of the uncomfortability of pain or the physical experience of it, that the, the mind doesn't a lot of times wander so much. And it actually can be uh, a way to help you stay in the present moment and to just change your relationship to just dis physical discomfort. Um, now, don't, um, don't hear me say, you know, don't turn it into some uh, torture session, you know, because, you know, depending on how bad the pain is, it can be really, really bad. Uh, so, as, you know, as an act of kindness to yourself, you maybe need to readjust or, or try to sit in a posture that's, uh, that's most comfortable. But pain, uh, running from pain makes suffering. And turning towards pain just allows us to maybe change our relationship to it a little bit. Uh, but obviously never, never good, right? It's pain, you know? It's, it's part of the um, experience. But to, to, to just try to have some more willingness to be with it. Uh, a lot of times it's been helpful to me when I'm like, oh, uh, my mind is fighting it. I'm like, you know what? My legs don't really hurt that bad, dude. Like, you know, they're just uncomfortable right now. There's just pressure. It's tight. But it's not like excruciating pain where my mind will be like this is terrible and this has got to stop and you got to sit in the chair next time and this is terrible and you got to stop and it's just like you know <laughs> the mind is like really like come on man what are we doing here we got this pain here. <laughs> uh, and then when you go into the experience of it it's like oh my legs are a little uncomfortable you know so I don't know if that helps but that's sort of the, I guess the typical sort of way to, to try to work with it rather than against it it does thank you the mind doesn't like pain. You might have noticed that. <laughs> it actually hates it. 